Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So Galatians 3, 1 through 14. That can be found on page 914 if you're using one of the, the church Bibles. It's also printed uh, there in, your, in the, the insert of your service sheet. We're, we're continuing this, this series through uh, the book of Galatians, and, and we've gone through sort of Paul's uh, explanation or his defense of his ministry. He's, he's talked about uh, all the reasons why what he had to say was authoritative. Now he's getting into what we'll call sort of the, the theological explanation. So uh, getting into more uh, the, the biblical reasons or the, the, um, yeah, the, the scriptural reasons why what he, he had to say and has to say once again is, is the truth of God. Uh, and what that message is and, and how it actually works. And I think that's one of the interesting things or, or the helpful things uh, that we're getting into now is uh, he's talking about really how does the gospel, how does the gospel work? Uh, what difference does it make and how does it make a difference? And so here now, uh, God's word, Galatians 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. I'll read through verse 14 this afternoon. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Now twice a year my boss uh, has me fill out this, this thing called a, a personal development worksheet. Uh, this is actually the week for it, and uh, it can be a, a helpful activity, but the, the idea behind it is, he wants us to, to stop for, for a few minutes and think through where we are in our lives and, and where we are in sort of our, our work and to, to think about where we'd like to get to over the next six months and then to, to set out some very practical goals for, for getting there. And I usually try to, to slip some things in like I'd, I want to, over the next six months, I'd like to eat more fried food uh, or maybe spend more time with my television. Uh, he doesn't usually accept those. But most of us have things in our lives that we want to work on, don't we? Uh, the ways that we'd like to improve ourselves. And we often look at, at faith or, or religion 
as a way that we do that. We want a, a faith that's, uh, that's really practical, where we can set goals and, and uh, achieve them. Because if we don't have some way of, of measuring how far we've come, then how can we be sure that we're making any progress at all? See, the problem is when we, we do that, our faith becomes a work. And this is why the Christian faith is, is so unique and so exciting. And I would argue uh, it's, it's more helpful than anything else. Any other, other religion or, or self-help book or diet or course or, or anything that you'll, you'll, you'll find. Christianity is far more freeing than any of those things. But the Christian life can often feel harder to measure than anything else. See, the reason is because the Christian faith is all about believing and abiding rather than doing and measuring. And that's what Paul tells us. That's the, that's the message that he's trying to get the Galatians to understand in our passage. They have a very big problem in that they've gone down the road of, of uh, looking to their own actions, their own works, to measure how well they're doing in their faith. They're looking at how well they can keep the law in order to measure how strong their faith is. And Paul says that's not... That's not how Christian faith works. In fact, he says it's, it's diametrically opposed to the true message of the gospel that he proclaimed to them. Paul actually says that, that our conversion as well as our, our growth in our relationship to God is the result of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. And it's the result of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, not our works. And he presents us this afternoon with actually... Uh, three solid foundations for our faith. Three solid foundations. First of all, the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the strength of God's grace. And thirdly, the, the power of Christ's work. So first of all, let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 through 6. Notice, first of all, that Paul really wants to get our attention, doesn't he? He uses some very strong language. He calls the Galatians foolish, and he asks them, Who's bewitched you? Now, no one wants to be the fool, and no one wants to be thought of as bewitched, or, which is to say uh, deceived, or under the, the, the control of, of some, some power outside of ourselves, usually an evil power. I would, I would, I would say if I, I got up and said, uh, used this kind of language, said these kinds of words to you all, uh, you'd probably want to leave the church. Uh, you may even accuse me of being a bully. But Paul isn't bullying here, is he? He's actually crying out. He's, there's, a, there's a desperation to this. He's crying out to a people who have been blinded by falsehood. And he asks them a series of, of rhetorical questions that can best be summarized in a, in a simple question. Paul asks them, what, what changed your life? What actually impacted your life? Was it the law? Was it a set of rules? Was it that you, you found you could, you could be disciplined enough to, to follow the law and that set your life straight? Is that, is that what changed your life? Or was it the grace of God and the message of Christ? Was it you being strong enough to overcome the, the problems in your life through rule keeping? Or was it God working through the Holy Spirit? Paul gives them and us two things to hold on to that, that they were in, the, the Galatians were in danger of losing the message of the gospel, and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to stop for a moment and, and ask us to, to imagine ourselves, to place ourselves as the, uh, among the Galatians. 
it shouldn't take it shouldn't be that hard to do actually if you if you strip away our, our kind of modern technology of our time you end up with people just like you and I I said this a few weeks ago you know, these were these were humans they're people like you and I they had they were concerned for the same things that you and I are concerned for they were concerned for how they would how they would make a living how they put they would put food on their table they were probably worried about their children and their well-being they may have had elderly parents to care for and, and health problems that they that they were concerned about. There were people like us. There were image bearers of God who had been broken by sin and looking for hope. I dare say that's where we all are, aren't we? We all carry the scars of, of this broken world and the frailty of our humanity. And so what, what gave the Galatians hope? Paul says two things. First, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ gave them hope. Verse, verse 1, it says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was, was publicly portrayed as crucified. And this is actually a, an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? These were people who had not actually seen Jesus physically. But Paul here says that, that, that through his witness and his preaching that this young church had seen Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. They were witnesses to the resurrection through Paul's preaching. Well, how? Well, that's the second thing. They were witnesses because Paul proclaimed it. He, he proclaimed this message. He proclaimed this truth, the gospel. And the Holy Spirit applied it to their hearts. And that brings up the, the natural question, well, who or what is the Holy Spirit? How does he work? To put it very simply, the Holy Spirit is, is uh, the third person of the triune God. He's truly God. He's equal in power and glory with the Father and the Son. He's present and active in our world. In the time of the apostles, this would uh, at times look, look spectacular. Paul talks about miracles that were performed uh, before the Galatians church. Today, it's still spectacular in the sense that, that modern people like us, modern people with, with buses and automobiles and, and uh, gas shortages and televisions in the back of the room. You have modern people like us that have all these incredible things surrounding us are still converted to faith in Jesus. That's a miracle of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Whenever someone puts their faith in Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit softens their hearts to believe. He opens their eyes like the scales falling off of Paul's eyes when he was converted. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes see the truth of the gospel message. This is where we see the great personal love of God for his people. If you're following Jesus, it isn't because you, you heard a clever apologetical argument or because you're just intelligent enough to get it or because you did something to make God love you. It's only because God the Father and Jesus reached into your heart through the Holy Spirit and he personally claimed you for himself. He called you to salvation. See, there's a real, there's a real intimacy to that, isn't there? And that's why Paul's so concerned here. Paul's concerned, we, we said this a few weeks ago, that there's a, a fragility to our salvation, isn't there? And we see that reflected in the Galatian church. Paul's saying here that, that you're, you're not saved through works of the law. And you don't grow in your faith through works of the law. You're saved and you grow through the grace of Christ Jesus from having that place before us constantly. 
We're, we're saved and we're, we grow through growing in our dependence upon him in the Holy Spirit. See, the Christian faith is obedience to God through dependence upon him and abiding in Christ. But that's an incredibly hard thing for us to grasp. We want, we want to be doers. And we often, uh, and we often are, are bewitched by our, our desires to perfect ourselves, aren't we? We can so easily be blinded. Martin, Martin Luther, I, you've heard me quote him a few times. Uh, he was a, a monk who, who, uh, who, who sparked the Reformation. He, he, he's, we're here because of Martin Luther. And he, he, but I, I think Martin Luther was, was often depressed, actually. And he, he writes about that, how, how uh, often he could be so easily blinded to the love of God for him and the grace of Christ. He often felt attacked by, by the devil and depressed and in, in deep darkness. We don't grow because of, of how great we are. We, we grow because of what we're trusting in, the object of our faith. And there's a real encouragement there because if, if what Paul is saying is true, then it means our, our life circumstances and our struggles are no reflection of God's love for us. When we feel frail and our, our mental health feels weak, or when we're struggling at work and aren't sure how, how we're going to get by from day to day, when we struggle with physical illness or we get discouraged, the message of Christ isn't just try harder. The message of Christ isn't follow these three steps or, or try this new plan and it'll all get better. The message of Christ is I'm with you and I'll be with you to the end. I'll be with you to the end. Just abide with me. Just abide with me because I've done it all for you. See, the circumstances of our lives, the hardships, is sometimes just Christ calling us to trust in Him more, to abide with Him, to love Him, to turn to Him. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, we, we're given an example in our second point, the strength of God's grace. Look at verses 7 through 9, and really verse 6 as well. Uh, Paul points to the example of Abraham uh, for what the Christian life looks like. And it's interesting that he, he does that. And we, we read earlier, or sorry, we read earlier a bit about uh, the faith of Abraham, didn't we? Uh, in our, our passage from Hebrews. Paul here echoes those words. And, and he's underlining that it's, it's faith alone that makes us right with God. That's to say that that's what, what we believe and trust in that really matters. So why does Abraham matter so much? Uh, if you aren't that familiar with Abraham, he was a, a man of God. That, that God called out of his homeland to, to wander as a nomad. And God made promises to him, including that, that his wife Sarah who would, would have a son, and that from that son God would, would make uh, a great nation. He would, he would bless the entire world through this people that he would raise up through Abraham's son. Even though Abraham was really, really old, his wife was too old to have children. She had been barren up till that point. And Paul echoes... Uh, the, those words here that, that the world would be blessed through Abraham. And he points out that, that they mean that what, what that means is that, that, that the whole world, that us, Gentiles, uh, what, he, what he calls Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, are part of God's family now. And it's significant that, that Paul would point to Abraham for, for a few reasons. First, he lived before Christ. Many people think the Old Testament, the early books of the Bible, aren't aren't really relevant to us anymore 
because they don't talk about Jesus. But Paul begs to differ. He says that the Abraham, Abraham's very relevant because we share, we share the same blessing as Abraham. The promises made to Abraham still hold true to us. We're part of the same family of God as Abraham. That's huge because it shows just how big God's grace is. It shows us how far the grace of God stretches. It stretches far enough back to cover, to go, cover Abraham, a guy who, who didn't know the name of Christ, but he looked forward by faith to the promises made. It stretches enough to, to cover the Galatians, these people who, who can't seem to get it right, who are struggling with, with works of the law versus faith. It stretches far enough forward to cover us and beyond. See, in Abraham, we see the real power that the gospel holds. The grace and love of God is, is timeless and unfailing. It begins with a, you know, from, from a nomad, a strange nomadic dude rocking around in the Middle East you know, thousands of years ago, all the way up to, to modern London, Hammersmith. The grace of God stretches, and it's unfailing. It's sufficient for Abraham. It was sufficient for Paul and the Galatians. And it must be sufficient for us too. The second thing we see in, in Abraham is, is an example of what the Christian life looks like. Even hundreds of years before anyone knew the name of Christ Jesus, Abraham was looking forward to, to the day when the Savior would come. And he lived his life according to that promise. We've heard that a few times already this afternoon. What did Abraham do? Well, he believed God. And he obeyed God. It was just that simple. And he didn't always get it right. But he believed that God was righteous and would, would provide him with salvation and with a home. And he lived his life according to that. And keep in mind that this was actually 500 years before the law came into existence, before God delivered the law to his people. Abraham had no law to try and save himself by. He still tried to do it. He still messed it up. We won't go into all the detail on that. But he only had the grace of God. And Abraham believed that. And that's what animated his life. But maybe not in the way that we would think. Now Paul says that Abraham's a, a powerful example to us for, uh, of what the implications of the gospel are for our lives. He says the good news of Jesus is powerful enough to, to stretch over all of history. It's powerful enough to fill our whole world. But it has to begin by filling our own hearts. If we want to enjoy the blessings of the gospel, then we have to lay aside our fears and our cares. We have to lay aside our works and our efforts. And like Abraham, we have to simply believe that God is sufficient and good and he ultimately cares for us. And we're better off than Abraham because we have an object to place our faith in. We have a person to place our faith in. And that's the Son of God, Christ Jesus. See, faith, as we said earlier, is simply taking God at His Word and living according to it, acting on it. It's hearing the Holy Spirit whisper to our hearts that Christ has paid for our sins. And now follow Him. That's what we see in our third and final point this afternoon. The power of Christ's work. Look at this last paragraph, verses 10 through 14. Why is it that, that simple faith is so hard? Why is it that we, we want to go back to the law? Because it's so hard to believe that there is something or someone sufficient enough 
to meet the demands of the law. But Paul says that there is. He first says that actually if we're, we're looking to the law for our righteousness, then, then we're under a curse. The fact is that the whole world is under this curse. We all feel the weight of the law on our lives, don't we? We have uh, even, even modern social laws make us feel the weight of the law, don't we? You know, uh, we, we've got modern social laws that say you must put up a, a rainbow flag in your cubicle at work during a certain month of the year. And if you don't, then you'll be ostracized or you'll have, have very difficult questions directed your way. You know, we have social laws that say you have to queue for things. Because if you don't, an old lady will go tut-tut. And that might devastate our self-esteem. Why do the laws exist? They exist because we think we can make a better world or society through shaming people into acting a certain way. And we think if we shame people enough and change their behavior, then eventually we can change their beliefs. We, moder- we have modern civil laws, don't we? That we feel the bite of from time to time. I felt it this week. I had to, to take a speed awareness course. Yes, that's right. I, caught, I was caught speeding in a hire car in Northumberland. We were on holiday back in June. And I have to, I'll, I'll admit, I was completely set up. But the way the law is written, it was better to take a three-hour course than to, to try and go to court to fight it. And in the, the course of this, this course, there was a, a question that, that was asked that actually brought home the weight of the law. And in some ways, it, it feels a bit like a good thing, but then you also see how it can be such a hard thing as well. We were asked to think about the, the impact of speeding on, on, our, on the wider community. You see, pe- people who speed, we're, we're ultimately being selfish, aren't we? So he's trying to get us to think about, the instructor asked us to think about what are, what are the wider implications. He said, what, what's the impact if, if you actually hit someone with your vehicle when you're speeding? Well, that's quite a serious thing, isn't it? Someone could be killed. At the very least, they're going to they're gonna suffer injury, and that would be our fault. That would be my fault. He asked, what would, what would be the impact on the people who, the, the witnesses, the people who saw it? That's quite a serious thing too, isn't it? They would, they would, you know, they would probably have some maybe PTSD or, or suffer some kind of trauma as a result. Yes, what would be the impact it would have on, on your friends and family, on the way that they view you? You begin to realize that's that's quite a serious thing as well, isn't it? You know, uh, if you're fined or you go to prison or, or jail for a time, that that impacts on your family, the people you love. See this. But this is actually the curse of the law. Not that it it tells us the things we do are wrong, but that the the guilt and shame we feel for disobeying is impossible for us to wash clean. See, there are good aspects of the law, but even those good things we can't keep, whether it's social or civil, or whether it's God's law, the result is, is always the same. Guilt and shame. That's why Paul says that the law is a curse. So the question then is, how do you break a curse? How do you break a curse? I'll give you a silly example to get us to a a serious point. Uh, In America, there's a a baseball team, and I'm sorry to use an American sports analogy. I don't know enough about uh, sports curses in this country, so just bear with me here. 
But there's a, in America, there's a baseball team called the Chicago Cubs. And in 1945, they were playing in the World Series, which is a best of seven game series where the team who wins four games uh, is, is crowned champion. And so during the series, a man named William Cyanus wanted to bring his pet goat to watch the game with him. And he was sensibly turned away at the gate by, by security. And so Cyanus declared uh, in typical American fashion, them Cubs, they ain't gonna win no more. And this was interpreted as a curse. It became known as the curse of the Billy Goat. And indeed, they, they lost the 1945 World Series and they didn't win a World Series for 71 years until 2016. Now what changed in 2016? Did they let a, a goat come to the game so that they could, they could break the curse, they could, they could fulfill that, the requirement of that law? No, they just had a team that was strong enough to win. They had a team that could overcome the curse. And Paul says that's how you break a curse. You need someone powerful enough to overcome it for you. Paul says that's what, that's what Jesus did. Verse, look at verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. How could Christ deliver us from the curse? Well, he could do it by taking the curse for us by becoming that curse because he was strong enough to overcome it because he lived the perfect life we could never live he met the, the demands of, of the law and he died the death that we deserved and he was raised from the dead by the power of God see Paul's saying here you don't overcome a, a baseball curse by bringing a goat to a game and you don't overcome the curse of the law by, by trying to keep it. You overcome the curse of the law by looking by faith to the one who is powerful enough to overcome the law. And we have that person in Christ. And there's two things I want us to see from the cross. Just how powerful this curse is. And just how powerful Christ is. How powerful is the curse of the law? It's, it's powerful enough to condemn us powerful enough to condemn every last one of us to the punishment of death and not just any death but the, a criminal's death cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree because those are the ones who are really awful they've done the things most deserving of death and punishment and not an easy death we see that at the, the cross don't we Jesus hanging there between two criminals condemned to die for the things they've done cut off from, from society, from the love of their family, and from God. Very publicly displayed for their wrongdoing. See, the message of the law says that we all deserve that. And deep down, I think we all know it. We all feel it in the shame we feel when we break one of God's, God's commands. We feel it in our society when when someone's persecuted for, for saying the wrong thing. Quote, wrong thing. 
But the curse of God's law is worse than even the, the legalism of our society, isn't it? Because the law of God's soul crushing, and deep down, we all know that we're guilty. Deep down, we know that we have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, and we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We all know that, don't we? So the curse we see at the cross is the curse that we all deserve. It's the curse that we live under. See, we're all faced with death for what we've done. Now we call that we call death natural causes, maybe. But there's nothing natural about it, is there? But we see something else at the cross. Something wonderful and beautiful. We see the love of God and the power of Christ. We see the one and only God who took on our flesh who lived perfectly under the law, take the punishment that we deserved. Christ experienced what, was, what it was to be forsaken by God and man, to become a curse so that we might be given access to God through faith. See, the curse of the law has been broken in Christ. Paul says here in verse 14 that, that Christ's work is, is so much more powerful than the curse of the law. It's so much more powerful than the curse of the law. It's powerful enough to cover not just, not just the past sins of Abraham or the, the, the sins of the nation of Israel, but to, to cover the sins of the whole world. That's what he means when he, by, by the Gentiles. He's talking about you and me. He says we have to receive this, his grace in the Holy Spirit by faith, as Abraham did. But think, though, what good news this really is. The curse is broken. Then how do we live? Well, we ought to live as a people unburdened and unhindered, shouldn't we? People who are free from, from a fear of death and hell. We live as people with, with real joy in our hearts for the hope that we have in Christ. That's what Paul was fighting for with the Galatians. This wasn't about his authority or his control over a church. This wasn't about the, getting these people to, to start acting rightly. It was about getting them to believe rightly. It was about God's people knowing who they are in Jesus and living by that. Folks, in Christ, you are free from the law's demands. So how will you live? Will you go back to the curse and try to, to make yourself acceptable? Or will you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you? Let us pray.